Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Dark Travels hostess. Tonight, I am joined by husband Jeff as we discuss a UFO incident that occurred 64 years ago in 1957, two days ago on November 2nd. So, hello, husband Jeff. Hi, this is going to be fun. I believe UFOs are real. It's going to be interesting. Okay. Now, part of the reason why we're discussing this particular incident is because we are actually, like I mentioned before, very near the anniversary of the incident, but also because next week, Jeff and I are headed to the state where this incident happened, and I'm, of course, referring to the state of Texas. So, with these factors in mind, let's go dark. On November 2nd, 1957, this all goes down. And this is, I just, in, we're going to talk about what happens, what transpires, and kind of almost, to me, just basically a lot of uh, interesting reactions and some of the fallout that happened. At 10.55 p.m., a married couple was driving northeast of Leveland, Texas, and they see a bright, flash of light just basically moving across the sky and as they see this moving across the sky their headlights and their radio die for like three seconds so i mean they're cruising along and all of a sudden some parts of the vehicle died correct just went dark just right for about three seconds reportedly five minutes later a jose alvarez claimed to see a strange object sitting in the road 11 miles north of Loveland, again, Texas. And as he approached the object, his engine actually dies and remains dead until the object literally flies off. Now, about the same time, four miles west of Loveland, Two friends who happened to be immigrant farm workers, a Pedro Sacido and his friend Joe Salaz, were driving in Pedro's pickup truck when they themselves see a, a brightly litted cigar-shaped object moving in their direction. So it's coming at them. And as this object gets closer to Pedro's truck, the engine actually starts to sputter. The headlights start to go out and finally... Everything stops. In fact, the truck just basically rolls to a dead stop. Now, at this So they point, went completely dark. Correct. Everything's out. Everything's out. No radio, no car. But Pedro does what's something that Vina would do. 
he jumps out of the truck and gets down on the ground. And, I mean, if he didn't poop himself, that's probably what I would have done. Because, and he does this in pure panic mode. I mean, he's like, holy Just shit, jumped what out is and this? laid down on the ground. Correct. Now, he does call to Joe. He's like, get out, get out, get out, get out. But Joe, I think, is frozen. He's like. Joe's like stuck in his seat. Like, ah, what the hell is this? I think it's kind of very literally a deer caught in headlights. Mm-hmm. UFO headlights. Mm-hmm. And either or a, way. Or a human caught in UFO headlights. Or yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> now the UFO eventually flies directly over them and the truck, and Pedro would later report that as it passes overhead, it does so with this great sound, like a rush of wind, and Pedro would also say the sound was like the sound of thunder, and his truck would like rock. You know, like it shook his truck. Correct. Did it shake the ground too, or just the truck? Um, he didn't say that. He just referred to his truck. And he also would say, as it passed, he just felt this tremendous amount of heat come over, and then, you know, once it flew over, it was gone. Now, to to no surprise to anybody now, because, you know, it's the privilege of being 60, 70 years down the road, but, of course, as soon as the UFO passes... Pedro's truck starts working like there was never a problem. Now, of course, they do exactly what anybody in 1957 would do. They gun for the nearest payphone, which is located in Whiteface, Texas, and they call the police. They're like, this just happened. Holy shit. Did the police just laugh at him like crazy? Well, so here's we'll, this is what how this goes down. Patrolman A.J. Fowler was on desk duty that night when Pedro and Joe call to report the UFO. Fowler actually thinks the men are drunk, that they're just telling the joke, they're, you know, jerking his chain. So he basically blows them off and ignores the call. I probably would have done the same thing in 1957. Yeah, right. These two guys are crazy. But what Fowler doesn't know and is really about to find out, that Pedro and Joe are just the tip of the iceberg in terms of witnesses. Theirs is actually the first of 15 calls regarding this UFO in approximately three hours. Now, later on, when interviewed, Pedro will sign a statement saying that the UFO was about 200 feet in length. The second call comes in at 1145. This caller is Jim Wheeler. Wheeler is driving near the town of Witherall, which is about four miles from Leveland, and says, hey, I just saw a brightly lit egg-shaped object about 200 feet long sitting in the road blocking my path. So he drove up to it. He also goes on to explain that his engine died, his headlights failed, and when he got out of the car to get a closer look, the object just takes off, and the object goes black and takes off, And just like Pedro's truck, once the object moves away from his truck, he's able to restart it, and like magic, it works normally. So it's like it has an EMF. It's like it shuts down everything around it. Correct. Correct. Now, this is something that gets kind of questionable later on, and we'll kind of talk about it. EMP. It's called EMP, electromagnetic pulse around the 
UFO just kills everything. Right. So at 15 minutes later, approximately 15 minutes later, you know, these are just, this is 1957. They don't have, unless Fowler's actually writing down the time exactly when these calls come in, there's no switchboard to even trace these calls. So either way, so at 12 o'clock, you know, so now we're rolling into November 3rd, Fowler receives his third call. I, I don't actually have the, the caller's name, but just like Wheeler, he is driving about 11 miles north of Leveland, and he sees the UFO, like Wheeler, sitting in the middle of the road. So this thing's moving all over the place. Correct. And just like Pedro and Jim, his car falters, but unlike Pedro and Jim, he decides to just sit in the vehicle and watch the UFO for a brief moment of time until it rose up and disappears into the night. So he's like, maybe they won't see me if I don't move. Maybe he's got the human in the headlights thing (laughs) or the UFO lights. So, and as soon as the UFO is gone, just like Pedro, just like Wheeler, the car is fine as soon as the craft leaves the area. And he guns it for a payphone, and he calls the police. Now, about 10 minutes later. So now it's like 10 minutes after midnight. Correct. So November 3rd. A 19-year-old freshman from Texas Tech University is just driving. He's actually driving nine miles east of Loveland. His name is Nellwell Wright. And just like before, his engine begins to cut like it's running out of gas. The car rolls to a stop, and the headlights dim, and several seconds later, everything's gone. It's over. The car has stopped. Now, he actually does not see the UFO at first, but because he doesn't see it, he's like, shit, what the fuck's wrong with the car? He hops out, and he goes to check the engine. The UFO is going blackout, you know, every now and then, and that's when he sees... What he describes is 125 feet long, a bluish-green egg-shaped object sitting in the road. And Noel does exactly what I would have done. He panics, he heads back to the truck, and he tries to get the car started. He he wants to get the hell out of there. But just like the anonymous caller before him, he just basically sits because the car isn't restarting. And he waits, and he's praying and hoping that another car will come along. Well, this doesn't happen, and Noel basically sits there until the UFO rises up and takes off. Now, he actually does not call the police immediately. He actually goes home, tells his parents about the incident when they arrive home from a trip. But later that weekend, because this is the weekend, he will go in and uh, report the incident and he will leave his statement with the sheriff's office. So when they kind of start comparing notes, here's the chronological events and witnesses. While he doesn't call, the calls do actually continue. The witnesses continue to call in. So after the, about the third call, Fowler's like, hmm, maybe something is going on. And he reaches out to the other patrol cars. And he's like, hey, I keep getting these phone calls. Well, believe it or not, Pretty much immediately afterwards, two different officers radioed that they are seeing two different flying objects with extremely bright lights, but they themselves are not having 
the engine problem. So they're seeing something in the sky. So now it went from one to two. Right. But more importantly, I mean, you kind of have validation from law enforcement that something's going on. Right. Not that they're actually seeing the egg-shaped or cigar-shaped scenario. And so, I mean. They didn't have drones back then. No, they did not. I know. Now you have all these witnesses. Some are yet to come forward again because, like, Noel. And now you have officers saying, hmm, there's something going on. We don't know what it is. But the night's not over. At 12.15, Officer Fowler receives another call. This time, it's a farmer by the name of Frank Williams. Just like Jim, just like Noel. Frank says, hey, I just encountered a brightly glowing object sitting in the road. And he explains that as his car approaches, his lights go out, his motor stop. And as soon as the object ups and leaves, flies away, Frank's car starts, you know, the engine turns over, the lights turn back on, and it's like it never even happened. Now, 30 minutes later, Ronald Martin is driving west of Levelin, very close to the spot of Pedro's initial sighting. He says he sees a large orange ball approaching his direction. So, again, it's coming at him. And he actually watches the UFO land right in front of him on the road about a fourth of a mile away from him. And Martin also says that the craft appeared to be orange in color at first, but became a blue-greenish color upon landing in the road. So it's changing colors. Now, the other thing he also noticed is that the spacecraft, the UFO, spanned the width of the road. And after the craft landed, his engine, you know, failed. And so he's like, I don't know what the fuck this is. I'm just going to sit here. And, I mean, the lights from the UFO is actually lighting up the cab of his truck. And... After a few minutes of just chilling, the UFO lifts up and leaves the area again. And, again, he actually doesn't make a phone call initially. He files the report later, like Noel will. So, again, it's all about putting the paperwork and lining up the chain of witnesses and events. At 1.15, James Long reports seeing a brightly lit object sitting in the road in front of him and also claims that the engine and the headlights die and everything's dead until the object flies away. But Long actually calls in the incident and Fowler's still there. He's still taking the calls. And he, you know, Long is like, hey, I'm a truck driver from Waco, Texas. I'm just a little bit north of Levelin. And, you know, this is what I saw. Just like some of the other callers, James is like, it was about 200 feet long. It was blocking his way in the road. And at the same time, his truck failed. So he basically rolls up on it. And Long actually does something that Wheeler does. He gets out and he goes to investigate. And as he gets out, the UFO starts to take off and Long passes out, probably from fear. And he's like, I don't know how long I was out, but, you know, the UFO's lights blinked out and... You know, that was the last he remembered when he woke up and got back in his truck and the engine, of course, started as normal. So this guy passes out just, you know, trying to investigate the situation. He hops in his truck. He races back to Levelin to report 
this encounter to the police. And, I mean, he's like, I, you know, I don't know what the fuck just happened. And Fowler kind of noted how upset Long was. Now it's about 1.15 in the morning. This is going on for a couple hours. Several of the police officers are now actively investigating. I mean, people are coming in, okay? Cops are coming in. Even the sheriff, his name is Sheriff Weir Clem, comes in, gets in his patrol car, and at 1.30, even he reports seeing a bright red object moving across the sky. And he's not alone. There's a Deputy McCall who also says that they see this object. I mean, Fowler's doing his best to kind of communicate with all of them. They're all trying to track the whereabouts of the UFO because, like I said, all these officers are coming in. When they actually see this UFO, they're, again, they're four or five miles outside of Leveland, so there's something going on in the Leveland area that is, for some reason, these two UFOs seem to be, I I would say island hopping, but uh, highway hopping. Highway hopping. I yes. like that. So let me ask you this. It didn't sound like it, but did anybody report seeing it in the same place as somebody else did? Well, Pedro and the gentleman. But they, they so, so more than one person saw it in one place. I mean, more than more than one. Well, they're basically they seeing the these area. objects within 15 mile radius of Loveland. No, but you understand what I'm asking, right? Did, did right. anybody report it in the same spot? I, there at were different times. Yes. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. Yes. So it was kind of like circling, basically. It sounded kind of like yes, yeah, like maybe they were looking for something, or they were having engine problems. I mean, to make themselves so much aware, because I mean. At this point in time, they've gotten law enforcement's attention to the point where, I mean, it's one thirty in the morning. The, sh- the sheriff's out looking for it. And they're not the only ones. The sheriff and the deputy aren't the only ones. In fact, Patrolman Lee Hargrove and a Floyd Gavin are, you know, following the, the trail, you know, the calls from Fowler in their patrol car. And they see this bright light. A strange flash, and they could see down the road that something appeared to be close to the ground. So you now have four officers saying they're seeing something, and now you have two officers very specifically saying we could see something in the road. On top of that, a Constable Lloyd Ballin of Anton, Texas. So now other law enforcement agencies are involved. Also report seeing the object... And he gives the statement, it was traveling so fast, it appeared only as a flash of light moving from east to west. And by this time, different departments are getting involved as well because at 145, Levin's fire chief, Ray Jones, is also patrolling the area in his car, and he sees the object, the UFO, and just like everybody else, his vehicle lights and engine sputter, although it does not actually die. He d- the, it just, you know, the lights flicker, the engine sputter, no, but it doesn't die. And he spots a streak of light north of an area called the Oklahoma Flat. Now, 
the sightings just end right after this sighting. You know, maybe the flash of light he sees is them actually taking High off. Hightailing right. to the atmosphere somewhere. Right. Now, I only mentioned a handful of callers, but there was a total of 15 phone calls of people reporting strange lights, reporting things sitting in the road, and everybody who called was, like, really excited about it. Like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So, and like I said earlier, this actually goes on for three hours. So, word breaks out. This spreads like wildfire. And and bear in mind, these are just the people who called. The, the university college kid doesn't call. He comes in the next day. And um, I think Martin comes in the next day. So, these aren't even callers. So, there there's other callers coming in. Then the very next day, the small town of Loveland, I don't know how big it is. I have not actually looked on the map. I mean, we're going to San Antonio, Texas. So I, I don't know how far it is from where San Antonio is. And Texas is a huge state. But the point is, is that it gets swarmed with media reporters. And they're just like, what happened? What happened? We want to know what happened. We need to have this investigated. So the United States Air Force, under a department called the Blue Book Project goes to do the investigation. And they send a sergeant, and I cannot make this name up, but the Air Force sends a sergeant by the name of Norman P. Earth. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I shouldn't laugh, but that's actually very appropriate. Oh, well... This that he's an, a UFO investigator. Correct. Norman P. Earth. Correct. I investigate UFOs. Now, this guy speaks to just six of the witnesses, and he leaves within 24 hours of arriving. 15 calls that does not include the statements that, like, the statements that would come in later, like Noel's or, I think, uh, Ronald Martin. So he only talks to six people. Now, this guy speaks to Pedro and Jim. So the immigrant worker, the, I don't. Two immigrant workers, right? Pe- no, oh, just Pedro. No, 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 Pedro. Okay. But he was with his friend, Joe. Right. He didn't talk to Joe? No, not huh. to my knowledge. Huh. He talks to them. He hears about some thunderstorms that were present in the area the day of the incident. And Sergeant Norman P. Earth comes to the conclusion that if this is all just an electrical storm, probably a ball of lightning or something called a St. Elmo's fire scenario, which causes, you know, strange sightings and reported auto failures. Because here's part of kind of what their issue was. is like one of the vehicles that was involved is like a diesel truck which to them is not possible to kill that engine. And then he, you know, looks at the witnesses and he's, you know, he points at Pedro and he's like, well, this guy's just an, you know, a migrant farmer. He's got an elementary education. He don't know nothing. Correct. It's a little racist to me. Exactly. I think Norman Pierre sounds like a jackass. That's exactly, that's exactly what happened, in my opinion. He dismisses these people. Even someone with an elementary education can still explain, this is what I saw. It doesn't make them stupid. 
No. According to him, he does, I guess. Well. He's a jackass. So he blows this off. It's a lightning storm. Well, I have no doubt the people in Texas know what a fucking lightning storm looks like. Uh, probably. And it's and, and when you see a bright object that's orange for a few minutes sitting in two feet long, 200 feet long. And it's moving. Correct. That yeah. is not a lightning storm. Uh, probably not. So, believe it or not, in 2002, a gentleman by the name of Burleson, Donald Burleson, basically does a review of this entire UFO incident. And it is his intentions to find out what happened. I mean, it's, to him, it's 45 years later. Find out if it was real or not. Right, and we're now in a new century. Let's put the truth on the table for people to see kind of scenario. And he actually is able to track down some of the witnesses. That's cool. I was just going to ask that. And he gets told, for instance, with regards to the sheriff, because the sheriff, why would he lie or make something right. up? About, put his job on the line. Yeah. Why would you? Yeah. And and why would you write statements or have your deputies write statements saying, yeah. I know this is what I saw? Yeah. Well, it turns out that the sheriff was basically told, you saw nothing, you heard nothing, keep your mouth shut. By Norman P. Earth? By the higher-ups. Higher than Norman P. Earth? Correct. Okay, so Norman P. Earth, was, they were just trying to, sounds like a cover-up to me. Without a doubt. You yeah. know, I don't somebody know. Somebody knew what was, somebody somewhere knew what was going on. Or, you know, the other thing we do have to bear in mind is you can't cause massive panic. If people are afraid that the Earth is going to be invaded by an alien race with a far superior... Technology, you, you can't have. I don't. I don't. I disagree with that. Well, you can't have a mass of people panicking. No, you can't. People You're don't right. invest in homes. They don't take care of their lives. They don't put money in the bank. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to have people functioning and y- doing everything they're supposed to be doing in terms of keeping the economy going, and uh, so forth. Okay, so. On top of everything else, he re-interviews the people who stand the ground. Nobody's story changes. He also uncovers another witness by the name of Carolyn Reno. Because he actually goes to Loveland, Texas. And Reno says, I was about 10 years old in 1957. And she and her dad had gone to a location, a location at the edge of town, and she remembers this location was basically a pasture where there were no houses or buildings nearby. And there in the prairie grass was like this scorched spot. And the spot itself was like a a round oval shape and at least 15 feet across. I mean, she couldn't remember exactly where it was. I mean, we're, he's asking questions 45 years later, or to some degree, decades later. And she's like, this happened. We saw this burnt-out area. And those who have heard the 1994 incident, people who went into the trees where the UFOs were hovering, where the children said that they were hovering in the trees outside the school grounds, the ground was scorched as well. So you kind of have similarities here. 
And in addition to this, Reno's mother, who was also alive at the time of this follow-up investigation, confirmed that there was this incident and, you know, my daughter's telling the truth kind of scenario. To me, this whole thing gets squashed, gets swept under the, the rug. A lightning storm? I don't think so. Not on any level. And law enforcement gets told. Sounds like the Air Force is covering it up. Sounds like they know more than what they're talking about. Or they don't know, and they just don't want to cause panic. I think they know. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say no to that. I think they know that there's the the UFOs exist. I think they know aliens exist, that they're visiting the Earth. I think that they try to cover everything up to avoid massive panic. So this was in 1957. This may not have anything to do with what we're talking about here, but I got a question for you. Do you know or have you read or heard or seen anything about any UFO sightings or anything? Maybe not in that area, but just in general earlier than that, like the 30s, the 40s? This is a great question. If there's like a pattern or a history, no, I don't know. Because that would, that, I only ask because, to me, if the Air Force is trying to cover this up, and there was something that happened earlier, at an earlier time period, and they, they're they doing the same, it shows a pattern, and kind of would be like, oh yeah, obviously they're trying to cover it up. No. But I, I believe that whatever's not in Texas is probably at Area 51 if they've actually got anything. There's well. reports that there are s- there is alien technology at Area 51. Nobody knows because nobody's talked about it. Nobody's said anything. But the conspiracy theories are that there's alien technology there. That's in Nevada, of course. Right, in a different state. But still, I mean, it's the same stuff. Right, right. So that's it. That is the Levelin 1957 UFO incident. All right. That's all we have for you tonight. Contest announcement. So I I posted this a couple weeks ago on Facebook. Those who are on Facebook kind of had a head start. But if you enjoy reading about serial killers... I am giving away a free copy of Michelle McInera's book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, this November. So the rules are very simple. Just send me an email regarding your favorite Where the Dark Corners Are episode. I know I've done this before, but like I said in my previous podcast, it's really nice to get feedback. What is piquing your interest? What did you think about this or that episode? What have you? All emails need to be in by November 18th. The winner will be announced on November 25th. So please include your address. And again, I am extending this contest to my international listeners. Um, I am more than happy to pay international postage if you are the lucky winner. So send me the email and... I will get rid of all emails and addresses once this is over. I, you know, no no reason to keep that stuff. I'm not tracking anything. <laughs> I'm never going to show up at your doorstep. I don't have that kind of time or money. So, 
Either way, if you have any questions or concerns, please send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. But speaking of Facebook, 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 I have a Facebook page, and if you are curious or interested and would like to join, just send me a request. However, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are or have a specific UFO incident in mind, again, you can send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. Final thoughts, husband Jeff, darling. Very interesting. I right. think the government covered it up. I think they know. I think they know about a lot of stuff. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. All right. So until next time. Please remember, only the few find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. (laughs) 